Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit PODcast, prideofdetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook, twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit, search for Pride of Detroit on YouTube. Oh man, so many places to find us. We're everywhere. You can't escape us now. We're, we're just hunting you down like a, like a slasher in a Halloween film. Uh, let's see, where else? Oh, right. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. You can find the podcast there. Download it. Give us good reviews on there. Uh, tell tell us all how I don't know anything I know about football because I am Christopher Fett, your adequate host at Christopher Fett, P-E-R-F-E-T-T. Back in the saddle again, uh, me and my guy Jeremy here, the fearless leader at Detroit Online. We did our post-game show on Twitch earlier. A lot of you guys, over 300 of you guys tuned in for that. And that was a lot of id we'll just say about this game. We are doing the post game show, the podcast here for Falcons, Lions, Lions, 23 Falcons, 22. And we'll get to how that broke down in a second. But uh, as I said, that show, Jeremy was all in this show, a little more super ego, I believe, but maybe, still, maybe still quite a bit of id is I'm bringing them in. Listen, we need to bring the energy a little bit up right now, Chris, because the Lions are three and three. We just witnessed an incredible game. And yes, there are problems and we're going to get to all of them. And they got a little bit of luck along their way. But listen, we watch these games to enjoy them. We watch them to have fun. And today was fun. Maybe it wasn't fun for about 55 minutes, maybe even longer than that. But that last minute was vintage Lions football. And I'm I'm all smiles right now. I'm 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 happy. I don't care what it means for the rest of the future right now, because Lions are three and three. They just pulled off a, a thoroughly enjoyable win and we got to see uh, some some theatrics in the making. I don't know about fun, but I will say it was a funny game and I enjoy the funny even for those minutes you might not have enjoyed. This was a funny game back to front with a proper bloody ending and an unhappy grin for the Atlanta Falcons who continue to be uh, a dumpster fire. Let's bring in the third man, Ryan Matthews. Back is the mother- at Ryan underscore P-O-D. Ryan, how you feeling after this? What's what's in the mind of the rock god? What's in the mind of you and your friend Bovada King 69? You, you know, there's so many things tick-tocking in my head right now, and I'm really glad that I'm getting the podcast to put all that stuff out there. I'm going to have some things to say about the game. You know, Jeremy's all amped about it. 
sure I'm excited, but there are some things that I really want to get into um, about about this game specifically. And you guys are no yeah. fun. You guys are no fun. No I fun at fun. all. I'm I, very fun. Listen, any game that involves a man falling down accidentally for a touchdown and everyone agreeing that that was a bad thing is funny sure it's funny this ending sequence it was so damn weird in so many places as i said i want to explain how we got here because i don't even understand it so this game was back and forth and the lions and the falcons both had a lot of problems on both ends for the lions the offensive line looked like they were letting the blitz come home quite a bit in this game right and for the Falcons, what, what would you say the problem would be for the Falcons, Jeremy? What, what was their Achilles heel in this game? I mean, or, besides getting or, in their own way, I mean, defensively, they, they weren't great. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think both teams offensively were kind of doing whatever they wanted until they got in their own way. And so for the Falcons, sometimes that meant maybe not converting towards the end of their drives for the Lions. It meant... Um, Giving you know, the ball to Adrian Peterson. Giving the ball to Adrian Peterson on third and fourth and one and, and seeing what happens. A lot of failed fourth uh, fourth down conversions for the uh, for the Falcons as well, I've got to say, which was uh, interesting. Ryan, that, that end of that game, like, wow. I, I don't know what to say was going on there. I, I mean, I, I still don't really know what to say about the end of that game because you have... Todd Gurley scoring on himself, essentially. That was that was that was the biggest mistake that they could have made. And they did it. And they gave Stafford too much time. You know, Jeremy said this is a vintage Lions game. This was a vintage Stafford game. You know, he was Mm -hmm. he was clutch in every way possible. He was doing the little things. He was, you know, on, on the fourth and one play to Adrian Peterson. He knew that there was an extra defender on the field and he got that snap off. I mean, Stafford was doing the things that Stafford does, and this was undoubtedly just because he threw threw for 340 yards. That's not that's not the big takeaway. He was making the big plays when he needed to make them. Kenny Galladay was making those plays too, and I think we're gonna in Penthouse Doghouse. We absolutely are going to be talking about Kenny G because uh, we're talking vintage Megatron. Like I hate the Babytron name. Screw you, man, sir. But <laughs> that those were Megaton Megatron type catches going up just bullying Atlanta defenders to get that ball. It, I mean, you're right. It was, it was a, it was a Megatron esque performance. I, I can't like, I can't look at the ending of this game and think of anything other than the Cowboys, you know, snap game or, you know, fake spike game, because, you know, in that game, Calvin Johnson comes down with a huge catch that gets him down to the one yard line. This game Kenny Gallaudet gets him down to the 11-yard line with a big 29-yard grab. Both then the, the the chaos ensues from there, right? Like in Dallas, everyone's running downfield except for Riley. Larry. Riley, Riley! This game, everyone's hustling down. Someone bowls over Carrion Johnson from the Falcons <laughs> as the lines are panicking. And then, and then, of course, the red flag comes out. Not not really red flag since it comes out from the uh, from the booth, but... Then challenge time, and we're all curious. We're all like, oh, my God, what's going to happen with the clock? There's three seconds left. Is the 10-second runoff going to happen? No one knows because... No, it wasn't. But yes. Spoiler alert, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Instead, the Lions got their one shot. They took it. Hawkinson had it. And and we'll talk a little bit more about Hawkinson later, too. But it was just... It was 
a surreal ending to the game. And Kenny Galladay had a big part of it. Obviously, Matthew Stafford had a big part of it. And Todd Gurley had a pretty big part in it, too. Yeah, I, I, I have some differences, and I'm going to get into it in my takeaway and why this is a little different from the Cowboys game. Because you did, not, not to spoil it, but like, I mean, Todd Gurley set up the feast for everyone here. And it's a weird, it's a weird thing, right? Like, Ryan, what, what's been kind of the dumb fan thing that even we sometimes delve into sometimes when the clock is ticking down within two minutes and we're like, just let the other team score so we can answer. Just let them score so we can get more time on the clock, right? That's yeah, what Todd Gurley was out there. He was the encapsulation because he was trying not to score, get less time to the Lions, and he couldn't do it. Literally falling over himself, and it was the one time that Lions fans will ever be happy that Will Harris couldn't make a tackle. <laughs> <laughs> will Harris that we just talked about in the mailbag, too. That was uh, interesting. And uh, heads up by, I'm sorry, I just, I'm, my, I, I'm running on very low sleep right now. Uh, who was the one who had the defender who had the heads up to not try to, I mean, to try to keep, to like, just not stop Todd Gurley? I mean, it was like the, the rest of the defense, like they, yeah. they were giving that to him. They, I think the lines mm-hmm. knew that was a strat is you got to let mm-hmm. him score. Yeah. And so they, they gave him all the room in the world to, 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 they gave him the rope to, to hang himself with. And he gladly did. When you're in that position, do you want your defenders coming behind the player and like the defender like push him into the end zone? Like, <laughs> I mean, why not? I, I think yeah, that might have been a, pick, like, that, that pick him up and carry him into the end zone. <laughs> yeah. Would that have been a flag? Maybe I don't know. Um, no, but yeah, there, there was some. The, the last time a Lions player picked up a, another player, it was Ashawn Robinson picking up Ezekiel Elliott, and that was a penalty. <laughs> that was a so, penalty yeah. for a different reason. <laughs> yeah, there were some weird. Uh, there were some weird penalties in this game and we'll get to that here soon but i think this is a good time to transition into our takeaways i think we have the breadth of the game we're not really giving credence too much to the beginning but i mean again that the beginning was just two teams faffing about they didn't really know what they were doing a lot of punting a lot of, as jeremy said getting in their own way some touchdowns some turnover on yards uh, missed field goal from prater later in the game too but i think this is a good point to get into our takeaways so who's up first you want to jump in there ryan yeah, let me let me kick things off. Uh, and I don't want to be stuck as the do downer. A pun? Um, maybe I don't know. wasn't intended. But my big takeaway from this game is that the offensive play calling is just that it's offensive. It is so bad. It is driving me absolutely bonkers each and every game. I went back and I and I kind of like rewatched the game on like a speed through. Um, obviously not watching on all twenty two film or anything, but. Um, that combined with combing through the play-by-play on ESPN, which is such a just fool's errand. Yeah. <laughs> but the number of series that went run-run-pass to end a series was only one. So, I mean, a lot of Lions fans who are sick of the run-run-pass, th- this game wasn't about that. This game was about the most predictable plays on second and... So, second and seven and more, there were three runs on second and seven or more and all three of them were guess who adrian peterson adrian peterson all three of them when he's in the game he's in there to run the football there it's it's either they're running the football or they're probably going to do play action it's like one of it's it's one of the two and most oftentimes they're gonna they're gonna run the football because they don't want adrian peterson pass blocking yep and it's just so painfully obvious I don't want to keep the blame on Adrian Peterson. 
he's not being put in he's not being put in positions to succeed and i know jeremy's laughing because that train is going off but all i'm gonna say is that the offensive play calling my big takeaway from this game the lions wouldn't have been in the position they were put in if they would have just been less predictable if they would have used deandre swift more it will it's it, it, it's really maddening to to even just look at the box score because you you can see it during the game but you had adrian peterson who led the team with 11 carries and got 29 yards. Again, I'm not really holding that against Adrian Peterson. He is who he is at this point. But DeAndre Swift has nine carries for 27 yards. I know that's not a whole hell of a lot better, but the guy obviously has more juice. And you just need to use your juicy players. <laughs> juicy. <laughs> yeah, you, I, you bring I, up a couple interesting points. Let me let me get right in here real quick. Um, second down, like we, we all focus on third down and fourth down. And yeah, there were some bad plays on third and fourth down. There's drop passes, poor play calls fourth down conversion or lack of conversion on the goal line was huge. But mm-hmm. second down seemed like such a wasted down this entire game. Always. Every, and, every time. And it wasn't even just like second and seven, second and eight. I remember there was a second and two out there. Trot out Adrian Peterson, lose two or three yards. Second and two is such a gift to the, to the offense. Should because, be an automatic pass. Yeah. I mean, you, you can go deep. You can do play action. You can run the ball, but just once you trot out Adrian Peterson, it's such a big tell, and it's crazy because you're right. Sometimes they run play action, but I feel like the number of times Adrian Peterson gets a touch when he's out there has to be somewhere around 70 80%. Like it's and it, crazy. And it's a handoff. And, and it's, it's a handoff. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, the, the other thing too, Jeremy, in my comb through of the play-by-play was that those were just the runs that run like second and seven, second and eight, second and nine. That wasn't the pass short, pass short. I, there, there are so many incomplete short passes on second down when I, I'm more upset when they run the ball on second and two than when they run the ball on third and two. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. that's, it's infuriating. Yes. I just don't think there's much left in the tank at Adrian Pete for Adrian Peterson right now. And to be honest, we kind of knew that was going to be the case. And it's been the case for any kind of running back at his age at this point. Like, great. He started the year strong. That's fantastic. But I can't tell you anything he did out there on the field that carry on Johnson couldn't have done. And carry on Johnson at least can pass block out there. And he was very phenomenal pass blocking today. And I think like going forward between carry on Johnson, Deandre Swift, I think you're good there, but I, I just, yeah, I, I'm not a fan right now of what's going on with Adrian Peterson. And as you say, it makes it very predictable. And I hate to bag on him in, in the middle of a win, but this was a very frustrating game that we would be mounting these same frustrations if Stafford doesn't get that ball home in one throw. So I feel like it's still fair to voice those frustrations. But Jeremy, I know you have a positive <clears throat> takeaway. Really, I, I do. And, but really quick on Adrian Pierce, one thing to keep in mind now going forward, and, and I'm not going to make this a long thing, Bo Scarborough just got activated from injured reserve. Mm-hmm. What yep. does his role become? Is there a chance Bo Scarborough <laughs> takes over for, for Adrian Peterson? I don't know. Something to think about. But mm-hmm. yes, I do have a positive about this game, and we, we talked about it a little bit already, and it's Matthew freaking Stafford. I've been hard on the guy for the first five games of the season. I've been hard on him for poor, poor pocket presence, um, inaccuracies, maybe missing on some, some wide-open guys, not seeing them. This was as close to a Matthew Stafford flawless performance as we've seen in a while. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. Definitely throwing the ball in the right places, 
finding open receivers at times. I wish they would have given him the ball a little bit more. I wish, unlike, you know, it, it seems like the Falcons jumped away from the running game early in this game. They saw it wasn't working. They're like, all right, let's just put in Matt Ryan's hands. The Lions were a little bit more stubborn, probably took them until the second half to realize, hey, maybe stop running Adrian Peterson. Let's maybe put it in your franchise quarterback's hand. And they did. And it started working. He found Kenny Galladay. He found Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones is back, everybody. He's off the someone, someone dialed the hotline, saw him on a on the Take side him of the off milk, the milk carton, carton. Take and him he's off. back. And so Matthew Stafford was just phenomenal. And that last drive was just absolutely what we've grown accustomed to seeing with him. Weekend, I mean that twenty six it felt vintage twenty sixteen season where he's just you you knew. Once they got to midfield, like this, this team has a real shot. And yes, it was it was a little bit methodical. It was tough with with no timeouts. But once that bomb to Kenny Galli was there, you're just like, okay, he he's he's probably going to do this. And there's not enough I can say about that last play of the game. That last play of the game was so good about all the things that we've been missing from Stafford, the way he navigated in that pocket, because it collapsed real quick. If you watch the replay and watch what happened to Tyrell Crosby on the edge, it was rough. He got torpedoed, and it almost took out Matthew Stafford's legs. And so he's got his eyes downfield. No one's open. You look where he's looking. They give you that end zone angle. No one's open. He slides in the pocket, slides barely by Taylor Decker, buys some extra time. Waits until TJ Hawkinson breaks open, scores a game-winning touchdown. I can't give enough credit to Matthew Stafford for this game because without his kind of performance, there I don't I don't even know if the Lions ever even get a shot at the end of the game. Yeah, I he just wasn't good for a lot of this season. And to be honest, I when he did take sacks, it, like you could clearly tell it's because a block wasn't picked up. on a defender or something else broke down, but it wasn't usually on him at the end of the day. Um, I'm I'm noticing some of his old mechanical problems are coming back, but at least he is mitigating damage. He, he, nothing, he's not creating damage. I should say nothing, nothing from Stafford is like, Oh, Hey, yeah. Oh no, that's a terrible decision. Um, maybe I have some problems with the sidearm still because I'm picky, but Hey, man, you can't argue with the results right now, man. You cannot argue with the results when you're getting almost you know, nine and a half yards average. Uh, you know, as I said, oh God, some of those sacks he was taking were kind of scary because guys, Falcons were just flying in. But he only took two sacks on the day. He kind of avoided. I think he took something like six quarterback hits, though. So, I mean, he, he got banged around, but he kept going. And I guess that's my worry always is like, hey, we saw him getting taped up and I'm like, oh, no, what's going to happen? But you power through it, man. You power through it. You get the win you worry about next week. And and the deep ball was back. The deep ball, the the thing that we loved last year, it it was back. And uh, next gen stats, I'm going to throw it up on here for the Twitch. Twitch people watching on Twitch live. Next gen stats shows his accuracy um, based on how deep the throw is. Anything 10 yards or deeper. So 10 to 30 plus. He was, I believe, 10 of 12, if you add that up. Maybe even more than that. No, he was 13 of 15, um, throwing more than 10 yards downfield, including uh, that game-winning touchdown. Over, it looks like, about 200, 230 yards just on those deep passes. That's what we've been missing from Stafford, and I'm so, so relieved to see it back. I just want to see it earlier in the game. Should I get on to my uh, pick? Do you have any thoughts there, Ryan? I mean, he was Matthew frickin Stafford today and I'm glad case closed. uh, Yeah, it's good to have him back. 
Yeah. So what I would say about this is I, I'm going to be looking towards overall narrative and how the Lions <laughs> kind of lucked out on this. And that's in that, look, the Lions are now back to three and three. They have gotten to the point in the schedule where they are beating up on teams that we assume they will beat up on. And in the case of the Falcons, we I, I know you and Ryan, Jeremy, you guys talked to Jana Thompson about this, and you said a lot is about how these two teams are doppelgangers of each other. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But the problem is someone had to win. What's that? You're pointing to someone. What? I was doing the Spider-Man meme. Ryan wasn't looking. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. The, <laughs> doppelgangers like but someone had to win at the end of the day both these teams are making a hell of a lot of mistakes both these teams were really rolling the dice against the refs in several places like i i will give credit to the coaching staff in this some of those challenges were really ballsy i did not think the the call to get 12 men was going to work and a lot of that does rely on if the refs are feeling generous to really review their work or you know, how stubborn they are. And you got a non-stubborn crew out there because you also had, you know, some looks on a few other, on a, uh, you know, the, on a few other things when it comes to past completions that, that worked. And sometimes that worked against you. Like, I, I mean, I remember Akuda bouncing the ball off his feet and that <laughs> helped out the Falcons, but, or, or, or even better when you had the review, like you guys were all sweating the 10 second runoff. And I mean, if that play didn't like stand on the field, we're in problems. Either way, though, there was some luck involved. And again, a lot of that started with Todd Gurley falling down. But guess what? You need some luck sometimes to win football games. And in a lot of cases and a lot of times, luck has been running against the Lions. Like it ran against DeAndre Swift, you know, in, in week one. A lot of these come down to coin flips, really weird things that happen to have to happen in football to work. And a lot of it was kind of instant redemption in several ways. TJ Hawkinson, the hero of the day, catching the, the game winning of uh, the game tying touchdown. He almost blew it by not stepping out of bounds on that very same drive when the Lions only had a minute to go. And like, you know, thankfully, guys got up to the, to the line of scrimmage and were able to spike it. Uh, this was a game on barbed wires. And all I will say is this. Don't get used to that too much. Uh, I love that the Lions won. It was exciting. It was fun. Let me, though, have some reservations for next week. But at the same time, I'm going to enjoy this one. I'm going to enjoy this one like hell. I'm not a, being a Debbie Downer, but I just want to also be realistic while also being like, hey, no, this is great. But I also am not going to say, all right, this is the time of the year where the season for the Lions turns it around or nothing like that. Uh, kind of need to see somewhat like because the Falcons got in their way a lot too. it take it took two to tango in this game. Yeah, I mean, no question about it. And and these 50 uh, we talk about it all the time on this podcast. 50 50 ball games are, are going to normally Bounce 50-50, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of people already saying, well, the Lions could be 4-2 and two if it wasn't for DeAndre Swift. Yeah, well, they'd also be 2-4 and four if it wasn't for Todd Gurley. So, yeah. Um, or yeah, any I, of those calls at any point. If the refs decide, yeah. no, you know what? Uh, that, that wasn't 12 men on the field. That, you know. Yeah, that would have made a difference. And, and the Lions don't win last week without DeAndre Swift. So, I mean, do you, do you want to have DeAndre Swift on your team, you know, making a you know not making one catch or do you want to have him on your team making you know basically a victory happen last week hey and by the way even on that same throw that stafford made too like 
hell, he dodged two almost dead to right sacks on him as well. Yep. Like he 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 that got away. Game that inches. much of a difference. And hey, Matt Prater, he misses a field goal earlier, instant redemption on the next field goal, and then continues that redemption into that extra point. If he misses that extra point, which got backed up because of the unsportsmanlike, we could be in an overtime. Who knows what the hell happens there? Because Matt Ryan was having his way with the defense near the end of the game, too. So yep. I don't know. I, I really don't know. All I know is that the chaos rolled the dice. We have a win. I'm not willing to make it into a bigger, larger statement about what these Lions are right now. And I hate to do that because, A, it feels like every year, Jeremy, we say, hey, we don't know what this team is. And we're like seven weeks into an NFL season. But at the same time, there's also still a lot of football to go. Yeah, a lot, a lot can change. Even what we think we know about some of these teams might change and injuries happen and all sorts of things. You know, everyone's probably looking at that Tampa Bay game against the, the Bucks, and what if some major injuries happen then? You know, we, we just don't know. And so the Lions have given themselves an opportunity to be lucky, to, to be competitive, to play important games into November, hopefully into December too. And, and that's, that's the positive I'm taking away. We're three and three. It may have not been pretty at any point in the season, except for Jacksonville, but I'm loving it. Yeah. I'm not, I, I guess my point is like, I'm not taking away all of our doom and gloom that we were doing when this team was one and three. Like, I think that was all warranted. And I think still some of those reservations are out there, but we told, we said back then this team needs these wins coming up if they want to, you know, keep afloat. And they, they're mm-hmm. getting them right now. Like suddenly that game against the Colts could make a hell of a world of difference, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, a, as you already said, Chris, the Lions are beating teams that they needed to beat and they're doing it by the skin of their teeth in this one. But <laughs> at the end of the day, a, a win's a win. You know, it's, it's yeah. much better to be three and three than it is two and four. It gives it gives everybody something to look forward to next week. It's going to be a real big test next week. I think a lot of people are overlooking the Colts just because um, they, they've had a couple of so-so performances, but their defense is legit, I think. And uh, they're coming off a bye week, too. So that's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup next week. It's nothing that you yeah. can look forward to and, and kind of, you know how we, we we've been doing that. Like, well, look at the next seven games like and we do it in one week. And then by the next week, everybody looks different. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's I, I would use the words Jekyll and Hyde. And a lot of I think as we look at Penthouse Doghouse in the next segment, I think oh, a lot of these yeah. players were Jekyll and Hyde. And that's going to make Penthouse Doghouse really interesting to do. I think I think that's a good point to do. We have any final comments before we go to break? No. no OK, great. Fantastic. We're going to take a break, uh, play a little grab ass with Twitch chat again. Twitch.tv slash Pride Detroit. Follow on there. Uh, to make, to see when we go live, usually after the game, 7 p.m. Eastern. And we're just going to have some fun here, but we'll be right back. We're going to do Penthouse Doghouse, tell you about several players who, you know, stock is up, several players who are like, eh, what were you really doing here? And I think for me, for a lot of my Penthouse players, like it's going to be mi- a mixed bag because as I said, the key phrase to use for this game was instant redemption. I'll explain when we come back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast.
And welcome back to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, where I, Chris Perfett, have a tickle in my throat and trying to hold it together while we get here. But yeah, woof, woof, we're doing the dogs, we're doing the barking, and we're doing the bling because it's penthouse and doghouse. Uh, we're putting players up in the penthouse, we're putting players down in the doghouse. And as I, I like to describe this game as a Jekyll and Hyde game for a lot of players, so it's going to be really interesting, when, I think, when I get to mine because... Some of the guys have mixed stuff, but I think I want to start with Ryan because I think Ryan, this is his segment. He he's comfortable in this segment. He wants to go. He wants to just go right off the bat while I do while I just sip on something to get rid of this crap in my throat. So go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I'm going to start right off the bat with stealing who I'm assuming Jeremy's going to say. So he's going to have to think on his feet because wherefore art thou Romeo O'Quara belongs in the penthouse. Holy smokes. Who would have thought when the Lions acquired Romeo Okora that they would be getting their maybe their best pass rusher so far this season? I mean, Trey Flowers has been he's been good. He's been steady. But Romeo Okora today. I mean, let's see. Where where do I start? The strip sack, which was maybe the it's hard to say that it's the biggest play of the game because there's so many big plays that happen. But like the Lions victory isn't possible i think without a big turnover like that at that point in the game he had another sack on a third and five that ended a drive he had three quarterback hits uh romeo okora and he had a he had a tackle for a loss too he he was a man he was a man out there he he's a dude and it's really nice to know that the lions have two at least steady pass rushers in okora and flowers yeah i don't think i don't think anyone's gonna mistake Romeo Okwara for like an elite pass rusher in this league. It's yeah, not like no. he has a ton of, of pass rushing moves. When the, when the Lions need to dial up a pressure, need need some sort of semblance of someone getting to the quarterback, it's been him more often than not. He only came to this game with two sacks, but that was leading the team. And now he's doubled it up to four. So, yeah, I mean, he's he was huge in this game. And, and I think that, like you said, that, that strip sack was... I wouldn't necessarily, maybe even you can call it a turning point in that game because the Lions, you know, had just missed a a field goal and it looked like the Falcons maybe were about to drive to extend their their lead to maybe two scores. And like you said, that's a two score game. The game's probably over. So huge play in that game. No question. I I, I consider that a turning point just because at that point, you know, uh, the Lions were down one point and that, you know, the fumble set up for the field goal to take the lead. And then, you know, then turns into the sequence of score of of trading touchdowns with Todd Gurley for the for the Falcons. So I, I consider that a turning point in that it put pressure on the Falcons that they needed to be the one to score now rather than just icing the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I haven't seen a presence like Aquara for the Lions since probably Ezekiel Ansa. Like he's probably not as good as Ansa was, at least at the height of Ansa, but still, like, that's just how threadbare this Lions pass rush has been. Aquara actually produces. He got you three quarterback hits in addition to his sacks. Like he was out there and he was creating havoc for Matt Ryan. Right. And really, I mean, Romeo Aquara is a he's a fine player, but he's playing way above his pay grade right now. And yeah. uh the, the thing about him is that the Lions pass rush, as Chris said, you know, so threadbare, just so starved that if you throw a saltine, they they eat it up like it's a Ritz cracker. I mean, I, I'm not not saying Romero Aquara isn't who we think he is. Like, let's let's keep our expectations in check. But like he had a he had a really, really good game today. And he's he's his performance overall this season has been pretty good. I'm going to let you get to your doghouse, but I object because I like saltines better than Ritz crackers. You're Goddamn fool. <laughs> I can eat sleeves of saltines, man. 
You want me to get to my you want me to get to a doghouse player? Oh, mine? Please, please. OK, Danny Amendola. All right. Danny Amendola for two reasons. Uh, one, the the boneheaded move to you know take off his helmet and celebrate that put Matt Prater in a really tough spot that all of a sudden made an extra point right around in the same range of the field goal that Matt Prater missed earlier. So, um, I I mean for that play and then on the, uh, it was the second drive of the game. He had a easy catch that would have converted on third down. And it was, it was a really bad drop. It was a bad drop. And I know he made that catch up the sideline. He was wide open on that play where he ran it off for like 36 yards. That was, yeah, that was busted coverage. And the, the thing that's frustrating about Amendola is that, he's supposed to be the player who's not doing those things. He's supposed to be the sure handed guy. He's supposed to be the guy who makes smart plays. Yeah. Yeah, Plays with his, you know, plays with his head and everything. Was it, wasn't on display today and he definitely deserves to be in the doghouse. Yeah. I think you took one of my doghouse candidates there. I just Amendola not, I thought the receiving core as a whole, a lot of bright spots today between Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, TJ Hawkins, and even Deandre Swift got in on some of the receiving. I can't say Amendola, even though he produced some good yards for you, that he was a bright spot just because just the negatives outweighed the positives here at the end of the day. And that's not mm-hmm. something you need from uh, your slot receiver. Agreed. All you right. Want me to take over here? I was kind of reared up, ready to okay. go, but I'll let, Do I'll let you go. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> all right. I'm going to jump in. I'm taking all right. over. All right. We'll do it live. Uh, not only is Kenny Galladay in the penthouse, he gets his own Scrooge McDuck room with coins that he can just swim in for the next six days. Hey, is that the man? He's money. Please let that dude stick around because, listen, I know he doesn't get a ton of yards of separation, but the catches he made today were just phenomenal. Each and every <laughs> single one. Every single one was just Holy crap, are you kidding me? Like, Calvin Ridley made one pretty awesome catch in this game. That would have been, like, the fifth best play that Galladay would have made today. Preach. all over the damn place. Doesn't matter if there was someone on him. Doesn't matter if Stafford threw it three feet above his head. He was coming down. It doesn't matter if he's getting blasted in the middle of the air, landing straight on his back. He's popping right back up and doing it again on the next play. My goodness, Kenny Galladay, we talked about it, Calvin Johnson-esque performance. I'm never going to call him the B-word because that's not <laughs> a nickname of his. But my goodness, he couldn't have done better for himself, couldn't have been a bigger weapon for the Lions, couldn't have been more clutch for the Lions in that game-winning drive. Kenny Galladay, have yourself a freaking day. Nothing else to say other than his name is not Babytron. Yes. Every single catch he had was like better than the last he had that play i don't know who i don't know who the poor corner was but stafford threw it up and galladay was just like this is mine and it's not yours like (laughs) it it was a ball that the corner probably should have had but kenny galladay was just like no it's mine because i'm bigger and stronger and better than you and how was kenny galladay secretly the best receiver on the field today take that julio He's yeah. top 10. He's top 10, Jeremy. I don't Turn know what wrong. else he has to do to prove to prove you wrong. I'd like to see better route running, but I mean, if you're just making those 50-50 ball catches 90% of the time, it's, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> How could I complain about that? I also want to say really, really quick for, for Penthouse, Matt Patricia deserves a ton of credit for, for the challenge that he made of the too many men. I'm going to make this really quick, but like that sequence was brilliant because... He gave himself two opportunities to get the first down there. 
First thing he did was not challenge it immediately. He got he put the punting team out there, tried to draw him off sides. If they get him off sides, doesn't he have, doesn't even have to worry about the challenge because guess what? You get the first down by jumping, having them draw five. And it, and if we, you know, you saw the replay, it was really, really close. So giving yourself the opportunity to not potentially waste a challenge, potentially waste a timeout that we knew they were going to need at the end. I thought he deserves a lot of credit for that. The rest of the game plan, we might get into later. Had some issues there, but give Matt Patricia a peek into the penthouse for, for that play alone. Just a peek. You can peek into the keyhole and then immediately get shown out because you might be a peeper. Just, sure. just, he, he can have a peep just as a little treat as a little treat uh, probably probably not the best uh things to discuss when we're talking about uh, matt patricia given his past but i digress uh who's in your doghouse it's gotta be adrian peterson man i'm sorry oh, like uh, yeah no yeah. <laughs> no he's he's dead already stop <laughs> <laughs> 11 rushes, 29 yards, missed on a fourth down conversion, missed on that third down conversion as well. They got bailed out by the too many men. I just, what does he bring at this point? He, he doesn't catch the ball a heck of a lot, more so this year than probably we expected, but he's not really a big weapon there. What does he bring in terms of pass protection? Nothing. And what does he bring as a runner right now? Like, not much. Like, the, the one thing we would say is that, you know, he's a physical back. He can probably fall forward, gain a couple of yards every single play, but that doesn't seem to be true anymore. And he wasn't helped out by the offensive line in this game. I'll, I'll admit that, but it it's getting harder and harder to rationalize him, not only getting 10 plus carries a game, but being in the lineup at all. And maybe that means Bo Scarborough. Maybe that means giving the young guy a shot. And Adrian Peterson certainly isn't going to enjoy that. And maybe that means cutting Adrian Peterson. But, I mean, would you be that upset if that happened right now? I don't think I would. I, I, I always believed Adrian Peterson's use was going to be limited because he's old and he ain't got much in that tank. I'm sorry. Sounds mechanical to talk about a person like that. But, uh, yeah. I don't know what else to say here, man. We, we got wowed in September, but guess what? It's almost November. And I don't see Adrian Peterson continuing to do much other than just ram right at the pile. And guess what? You can do that with Carrion Johnson. You can do that with Bo Scarborough. Carrion Johnson gets you incredible pass blocking and same with the back with the same package. So, yeah. And that, that, and that means there's a little bit more you know, confusion on the defensive part. Like if, if Carrion Johnson's in there now, you're like, oh, it's probably going to be a pass. Yeah, it's because he's good at path blocking. But if you give him a little more carries, you, you give him maybe cut into Adrian Peterson's time a little bit. Might throw the defense off a little bit. That's all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. And, and when it comes to Swift, it's either he's you're going to hand him the ball or by, he might be a receiving threat. You don't know. Right. So for yeah. the for the Twitch audience, show of hands, who'd rather have carry on Johnson than Adrian Peterson? That's oh, consensus from the hand. podcast. Every, everyone's raising their hand. <laughs> Jer- Jeremy was trying to be clever and coy, but I'm going to say right now, podcast listener at home, he's raising his hand in his mind <laughs> castle. Who do you who do you got, Chris? All right, uh, let's start with the penthouse, and I've got to go. I guess we haven't hit him. I guess I'm going with the easy. You know, you you teed this ball up for me, so it's Matthew Stafford. We he's had. Some, I've written enough about how his. Uh, you know, EPA uh, earn point per play. I forget the actual metric. It's off the top of my head. Excuse me. Um, his efficiency has just been down. 
It's just been down the last five games, even in the good game he had again. I mean, even the good game the Lions had against the Jaguars, it wasn't great. And after five games, I was sitting here thinking like, man, maybe Stafford's just, this is just who he is now. And I think whatever Stafford, Stafford looked a lot more comfortable today. Uh, There was, it wasn't, you know, completely free of errors, but he played a pretty damn good game out there. He orchestrated a winning drive. He commanded the line of scrimmage incredibly well, especially in those hurry up situations where they had to get up there all the time. He knew how to, he knew how to like try to draw, try to draw the play so they could get the 12 men on the field. He throws the game winning throw. Uh, he's just, he, he was getting the ball into some pretty tight spots. I, yeah, you put him in the penthouse, man. You don't do nothing else but that. Like this was a complete game out of Stafford top to bottom. Even the sacks he took, like in past weeks, we talk about, Hey, you know, his presence in the pocket wasn't great. Again, those sacks were usually because the offensive line just, I mean, the, the protection just didn't pick up a defender. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing was on Stafford here. I th- I think you're so right in putting him there, Chris. And I think it's important that we do put Stafford there because, I mean, it's almost like we took away the keys because he was just kind of like Lions royalty. He was living in the penthouse and everything, everything that was happening bad with the team, you couldn't heap on Matthew Stafford. You couldn't have him to blame for it. So mm-hmm. I think I think it's really really good that the Lions got a a vintage Stafford performance today, and that deserves to be celebrated for sure. Jeremy. I mean, I already praised Stafford like crazy. I thought it was the best game he's played this season by far. Maybe even going back to last season, I think I think this was this was as close to a, a flawless Stafford performance as we've gotten in a while. Yeah, there yeah. there is a statistic called completion percentage above expected. His was way down up until this week. He's he spiked it up by a good like I think 3 points if I'm reading this chart right. Nice. Just with this just with this game alone. That's that's big. Uh, let's let's go to the doghouse. Let's go to the doghouse. And I can't put Patricia there just because I like some of the challenges that came out of this game. However, if we're looking for a villain on why this offense was both both my my penthouse and doghouse both revolve around the same thing, the offense. And these are the two sides. And I think I have figured out as we've been sitting here, as we've been mulling over this, stewing over this like a pot of cold brew that I am brewing over the course of 20 hours, which I have gotten into a lot because I'm an idiot and I have nothing else to do during pandemic. But Stafford was the good part. And you knew when the offense started to click, it was when Stafford was taking charge. When he wasn't taking charge, this is where the doghouse come out, comes up. Daryl Bevel, get in the doghouse. Get in the doghouse, man. I'm tired of this play calling. I'm tired of watching downs just getting wasted. And again, it kind of, I think it's it's the villain behind the idea of a lot of the Adrian Peterson stuff and just not even just on some of the runs, but on some of the tempo on some of the plays that just kind of the pattern of the plays in each sequence of downs. I, 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 I'm not in love with a lot of this lions offensive scheme right now. And I think a lot of that comes back to Daryl Bevel and We've skirted around the issue. We've danced around it. We've been trying. And this is the thorny thing about football is it's trying to met out blame. But I think when it comes down to it, we have a couple of, you know, doghouse people that we've put in there from the offense and Danny Amendola and Adrian Peterson, all granted. But I think a lot of it also falls on Daryl Bevel and how some of some of these plays have been schemed out and how some of the play calling is going. 
I mean, some someone has to be the one to put Adrian Peterson out, and whether that's yeah, whether that's Daryl Bevel or, or, or Matt Patricia, not Look, entirely can, sure. But yeah, it's we they, can, they deserve blame. We can meme the shit out of run, run, pass. We can. I saw some stuff that wasn't just run, run, pass, wasting a lot of downs out there too. Like at, at some point, you need to go back to the drawing board a little bit. And guess what? All those problems evaporate, evaporated in the final in, in the in the drives where you just let Matt Stafford off the chain and let him command that offense then let him take charge because you didn't have the time to really relay stuff but when it was back in Daryl Bevel's hands there were problems yeah 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 I, for and sure I you know Ryan went over a lot of the second down issues but I I also think to all the the key play issues and when they get into the red zone when it's third down when it's fourth down there's just Failure upon failure upon failure. We saw another play in which two Lions receivers were just on top of each they other. They ran into each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's happened in two or three or four games. And and yeah, that's probably at least a little bit on the Lions receivers. I don't think there's a, a schemed play, a designed play where it's just, hey, run into each other so Matthew can Stafford can donk it off one of your heads. <laughs> like that's not a, a play. But now that this is a recurring issue, there has to be some sort of issue with coaching at this point. And and maybe it's designed too. Um, it, it's frustrating to see. It's it, it seems like I mean it wasn't a horrible day for the offense. We're we're kind of harping on them a lot, but at the same time, it wasn't a good one. This is not a good Falcons defense. And this Lions team had what sixteen points until the last ten minutes of the game and last last minute of the game. That's not nearly enough. They need to be more aggressive. They never will be. We know we know this team is going to establish the run. Um, but this was a week that they shouldn't have done it, and it took them too long to get out of that pattern. There were 10 Lions possessions in this game, and I just want to say here that when they were getting rolling, it was usually productive. You know, nine plays turns into a touchdown. However, on some of these other drives, like in, in those 10 drives, there were, let me count them here, three three and outs. That's kind of unacceptable because that that kills your momentum. I don't want to use the mo- word momentum, but you know what I'm talking about here. Like you've given your t- defense no time to get off the field and rest and look over their errors and try to formulate the next plan. You've wasted, you've gotten no time off the clock. Like the three and out in the second half was less than a minute off the clock. And I don't know what else to say here. Like when the offense isn't rolling, it's, it's because it's been figured out and it's just been beaten just around the block. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's my most worrying concern going for the Lions forward is that, yeah, you pull it off here, but there's a lot of problems still with this defense. I mean, yeah, offense, I'd like to. Me. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about defense and maybe we can do that in the next segment since we yeah, ha- sure. I mean, we've literally not talked anything about the defense except for Romeo Aquara. So maybe maybe we take a break here and then talk a little defense and then maybe talk about going forward after that. Absolutely. Let's do it. We're going to take a quick break, talk the defense and where the roadmap goes from here for the Detroit Lions. We will be right back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Wrapping up the Pride of Detroit POD cast, we just did an extended session with our Twitch audience. Once again, twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. 
can go there and watch us live. And uh, it really helps out everything here. And I know Jeremy has just started a poll that goes back to our roots. And he's asking, which is better, mozzarella sticks or onion rings? So I think what's going to happen is these polls, now that I know we can do polls on Twitch, there's going to be a silly poll each time. Probably not about food, but something Lions related. Like, would t- like how, how much money does Todd Gurley deserve? Or what, what would you send? What kind of Lions apparel gift would you send to Todd Gurley for yeah. falling into the end zone? A hat? A jersey? When when Mason Crosby missed all those field goals way back when old podcast listeners remembered, we spent that entire podcast talking about sending him a fruit basket. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. delicious fruit basket. What kind of fruit were we putting in the fruit basket for Mason Crosby? That was a that was probably one excellent episode of podcast. Yeah, maybe maybe we send him one of those like cookie baskets. What do you call those edible arrangements for? Isn't there like a cookie edible arrangement that we can send Todd? It Gert? is almost it is almost Halloween. You know, we could send him some delicious treats. I would send him uh, some of Ryan's favorite, favorite candy bar. Fun mm, sized. But that would be that would be a good thing. Like, how about let's give him him. Yeah, I know. But let's give him a great thing. Let's give let's let's have Marvin Jones put together like a nothing bunt cakes, like specialized Todd Gurley, like some icing on it. Mm. Have it be a gradient like their ugly ass jerseys. Listen, we are a generous people in Michigan when we're not <laughs> calling when we're not yelling obscenities at each other. So, I mean, this was this was a game with ugly jerseys. Like at some point I need to have an intervention with the Lions over their their gray jerseys, like terrible idea. Get rid of them. Yeah. Can can I say the one other great thing about this Lions win? It made me completely forget about what happened on Saturday with Sparty. <laughs> oh, jeez. What, what, what happened? Oh gosh, it's going to be a long season. <laughs> It's going to be a really long season. It's also going to be a really long season for Penn State, but it's going to be the best Halloween ever. Oh, no. This is going to be ugly. <laughs> ugly, ugly, ugly. All right. Should we get back into the yeah, line game? Talk a little bit about the defense. Uh, yeah. We, so we've, I think our penthouse doghouse was so focused on the offense. We decided we wanted to reconvene and talk about a little bit about the defense before we look road ahead for the Lions. So. I mean, do we need to do a separate penthouse doghouse just for this defense? I feel like we, we've kind of mentioned o- Romeo Aquara and we've mentioned a little bit of Trey Flowers as the good points here, but I couldn't really put a whole side of the field in the doghouse, but I am very upset every time I watched Calvin Ridley uh, sit wide open to get a catch. I don't know if it was because he was just, he knew how to feast on zone coverage. It seemed like the lions were always doing zone when Calvin Ridley was catching and wide bleeping open, or if it was just a uh, confused assignment or something, but Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst over the middle repeatedly was just, it was brutal to watch, man. And I don't know who to blame. And I'm just, I want someone to blame. Yeah. I, I, l- let's start with the pass defense there because you're right in to say this team was in zone a lot. And I think it goes to show you that, you know, the, the belly aching over man versus zone that we, we all played for the first month of the season. It's never that simple, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. never like, Oh, these, this team's bad at man. This team's predictable at man. Yeah, it's, 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 the, it, it's the defensive version of, Hey, what's better four, three or three, four base. Right. And so the lines were in zone 
I, I feel like this it, it's going to be like 70% or more. We'll, we'll see, obviously, when the numbers come out. And a lot of the time, they were just giving up a lot of stuff underneath. They were giving up a lot of seven, eight-yard catches. They didn't give up a ton of big plays in this game. Julio Jones's longest catch was 28. Calvin Rinley was 27. Everything else was under 20 yards. So in that essence, it's kind of what the Lions just like to do. It's that bend-don't-break attitude that you know will, will allow you to do enough until you shoot yourselves in the foot. And give Matt Ryan credit. He did not shoot himself in the foot much at all in this game, maybe ever. I mean, he took obviously the sack that, that resulted in a, in a fumble and a turnover. But other than that, Matt Ryan was was mostly playing well. The Lions were just kind of being passive. And when you play as much zone as you do against Matt Ryan, your only recourse is getting pressure. And the Lions did not get pressure like they did last week. They tried a lot of the same things in terms of like, you know, dropping some linemen into into coverage and sending some linebackers or some safeties. And a lot of times that worked. That worked on the Trey Flowers knockdown, which we didn't even talk about on fourth down when he knocked down a pass. Huge play in the game that we, we kind of overlooked. Yeah, um, didn't Tracy Walker help with a sack too or something? Like, yeah, I, I, at least with the pressure. Um, or ta- I think he had a tackle for loss as well. Yeah. Oh, that's um, what it was. Quick, quick pass out. But it, the pre- I think... I don't want to give put a huge knock on the secondary in this game. I don't I don't think Jeff Okuda played particularly poorly. I don't think the pass interference call was was good. He obviously slipped early in the game, but I think he had a couple pass pass breakups. He was good in run defense. As was Amani Orwari. I think it just they they played a lot of zone and when you play zone and give Matt Ryan a lot of time, he's going to pick you apart and that's what he did. Say all of that, and I, I'm going to rebound you back to the bend on break, because once again, my problem with Calvin Ridley being open also included a point when it broke, when he was wide open in that end zone, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that's, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do there. Like, it, that, it frustrates me. Yeah, that was bad. Uh, Ryan. Uh, I was going to say, do you know what was good about the defense, though? What was that? It, the run defense might be a real thing. Question yeah. mark? I mean, they held them to 2.5 yards a carry, um, and the, r- running the ball was something the Falcons really tried to do. They had 26 rushing attempts. I mean, they ran Gurley, and they ran him a lot, and he just couldn't get it going, uh, specifically like in the beginning of the game. Like, the Lions did a great job stopping the run, like, through the first, I'll say, like, three quarters, um, and then Gurley had a couple of, like, big chunk runs, but... Um, they did a really good job. I mean, he he finished himself with only 63 yards. Um, I don't know, what was his long? Uh, off the top of my head, I th- oh, it's 13. Yeah, 13. So, I mean, like, it's pretty good. It's a great day. Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't show up at the end of the game. And, and I mean, they, they rushed for a first down there at the end of the game. That should have been the end of the game. It wasn't. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, that's also a big storyline here is the run defense two games in a row now. And, and really, three out of three out of six at this point because they were good against the Cardinals too. So what looked like maybe the bane of this team's existence, the, the thing that was going to seek, sink this team um, might be a little better than we thought we was. And again, I think it's, it's all the big men up front. I mean, you look at the stat line alone and you see Danny Shelton has five tackles. That's a lot for a defensive tackle. And yeah. he's not getting those downfield. He's not, he's not running guys down 30-yard field. He's getting those at the line of scrimmage. So another good day from him. Penasini throws in two tackles. Nick Williams throws in two tackles. Deshaun Hand. Deshaun Hand had a, had a big tackle on the goal line. Um, four tackles in this game. So the guys in the middle of the field, I thought they did well. I, I hate to always bring this back to linebackers, but I feel like the linebackers are still the issue with this team. I don't think they're particularly good in zone defense. They were okay. They were fine in run defense today. But um, 
yeah, it's weird. I don't want to blame the secondary. I don't want to blame the defensive front too much, which just leaves me the linebackers again. I think some some blame is going to come out of some cornerbacks, not as much safeties when this all comes out, because I, I where it got really egregious was probably the last drive that the Falcons took where um, I, I know people use the word prevent defense very, very, very liberally today. And usually what they're referring to isn't prevent prevent defense itself, but it is very much so that they're not selling out to stop the pass. And, you know, they're allowing those over the middle, uh, you know, five, six yard pass completions without too much co- uh, 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 competition. And that's what was happening a lot on that last Atlanta drive. And I hate to say it, but the Lions were only up two points. It was really not a smart strategy. I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. You were only up two points. Like the Falcons didn't need to go in for a touchdown. Like they're, they're again, a lot of what we've been saying is we're all lucky here that Todd Gurley did go in for the touchdown because it gave the Lions time. The The Falcons, if they had played it a little smarter and played it a little more conservatively and hadn't got out too far out in front of it, could have burned down the clock and just taken a field goal to win the game. I mean, listen, listen to the yards gained on each play of that last mm-hmm. drive. Six yards, nine yards, eight yards, 16 yards, 16 yards, eight yards, one yard, the one, the one play the line stop. Two yards on the third and one, and then 10 yards. Basically, nothing like two plays under five yards. One of them happened to be a third and one that they got, anyways. There was no resistance on that last drive. And you're right, they gave them way too much room. And it kind of felt like they gave them way too much room for most of the game. But you have to think they might tighten up a little bit when the game is on the line and they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to add to somebody you highlighted earlier, too, Jeremy, uh, Deshaun Hand had that sneaky force fumble on Todd Gurley that he was lucky enough to fall on. Yeah. So I think the defensive line, I, I know what you're saying. Like, it's hard to say like where exactly to put the, the, the blame on just like, you know, as evidenced by getting chunked all the way down the field like that. But I thought the defensive line like played like a, I would say like a B, maybe a B plus game. If you want to, if you want to put that much credit into their, into their ability to stop the run. And, and also, I mean, one thing, and I don't know how much credit you give the Lions for, for this, but Falcons only scored 22 points. That was their second lowest total of the season. Yeah. In all but one game before this, they had scored at least 30. And part of that is the Lions, their bend-o-break strategy kind of works in that fashion because we, while the Lions didn't really stop the Falcons, they certainly slowed them because we saw those 98-yard drives that took up six minutes and, and 14 plays and other, you know, nine plays, eight play drives that, that took a really long time. It took a lot of time off the clock. A lot of them still resulted in touchdowns. But at the same time, you know, they, they got, you know, two or three, three or out, three and outs this game. They, they forced some punts uh, in early in, I mean, the first three drives of this game were three punts from the Falcons. First drive of the second half was also a punt. So they, they did enough in this game. It wasn't, it wasn't an outstanding performance. It's not one that's going to leave a good taste in your mouth like Jacksonville. But they did enough where, again, there's there's a little bit of hope here. Um, we, we're, we're still waiting for the pass defense to kind of settle in, but the run defense is better, and there are some promising signs, I think, in the secondary world. I think Jeff Okuda had his best game. I think Amani Orare didn't play horribly in this game. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that proceeds. Maybe they get a little more confidence in those guys, play a little more man going forward, and and, and maybe it all works out there. But I'm, I'm not walking away from this game feeling terribly about their defense. 
There was um real quick. There was one play that I saw Jeff Okuda like pre-snap, like he was like jumping up and down. You'll probably see it in all twenty-two, Jeremy. But I, I'd be interested to go back and see. But he's like jumping up and down, like pointing at Julio Jones, and like Julio Jones is the guy who catches the ball. So mm-hmm. like it, it was really interesting to be like, and I think it was something where like like Okuda like switched off Julio because he was sent in motion or something. But maybe that is like you know just Okuda getting acclimated to the. NFL and yep. you know you know being able to watch NFL tape I'm sure is a lot different than watching college tape so you know hopefully this is a confidence booster for them Chris do you have something you want to chime in with no I I I'm I I've said all I've I've got on the defense at this point um I just I think I want to also talk about the road ahead so I don't sure. know if you guys have more notes about no let's get defense, to it yeah I, so I, I have yeah. one more note about this okay game. go ahead yeah yeah let's go we haven't talked about Matt Prater and I think I thought I talked about him earlier. I could be wrong. I, I, I think we need to talk more about Matt Prater because all of Lions Twitter is like slowly turning on Matt Prater for some reason. Like all of a sudden, like the kicking yeah. position is something that Lions Twitter wants to reevaluate. Like I had people saying, like, can Jack Fox just kick field goals or um, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like th- this is something where like people are so blinded by the fact that like Prater misses a 47-yard field goal. Like, it's it's no chip shot by any mean. Like, a 47-yard field goal. You want to see him make that. But, I mean, he hits the clutch kicks when you need him to hit big field goals. He gets that Ooh, field goal. Clutch. Yeah, he, get, he, he hits that field goal right before the half to put the Lions within striking distance. It's all of a sudden a 14-10 to 10 game now. And then that extra point, when it got pushed back because of the Danny Amendola penalty... That was right in the same range as the the field goal that he missed. And you know what? He wasn't shook by it at all. He went up there and he freaking drilled it. Matt Prater hit two of three field goals today. Two of them being 50-yard field goals. And that was the problem that everybody had. Like, everybody was like, well, Prater can't hit any 50-yard field goals. He's he's missed all of his this year. Well, he goes out, he does that, he misses one field goal, and all of a sudden, oh, now we need to completely reevaluate the kicker position. If If... If he hits his next eight field goals, which is nothing like out of the realm of possibility, he's right back at his career percentage, which is 83%. Lions fans aren't spoiled about a lot of things, but they're spoiled about kickers. Absolutely. Big time. Big time. That's such a good point, Jeremy. And Prater's a lot of the reason why they're, why they're spoiled to it, <laughs> yeah, which makes it, it weird for it. But, like, I, I'm just thinking around the rest of the league, like, A, today, on this Sunday we're recording on week seven, uh, we saw two games lost because of ma- missed field goals from, I believe, Titans. Uh, yeah, the Titans with Steven Gotzkowski, and I'm just trying to remember who the Panthers kicker is. Do we? Um, but that, that was a 65 yarder, so you might give him a little bit. Yeah, of- yeah, fair, fair, <laughs> yeah. but still, like, all I'm saying is, like, everyone wants to run the kicker out of town the minute they miss the first field goal. So I'm not, a, I'm surprised, I'm not surprised a little bit. But I mean, I saw people talk about Prater like this was like Chicago that one year where. Uh, Nagy was losing his mind and demanding everyone kick from the distance where they, uh, you know, lost that field goal in in the playoffs the one year. I I I, I don't understand it. Um, I don't think he's washed. And guess what? Sometimes kickers just miss field goals. It's it, it's going to happen. I'm sorry. Like I know he missed one earlier in the season too, and maybe that's got people riled up and spelling doom and gloom with the rest of the team right now, but. I mean, I'm not I'm not burying Prater. You're you're asking him to go out there and kick pretty long field goals almost every time. And more often than not, he does pretty damn well, man. So Amen. 
All right, I want to look ahead a little bit because as I said, we're we're in the stretch of the schedule that eases up a little bit. There's no more bye week though. So you got to be a, wor- a little worried about that, but Colts are coming up and then after that the Vikings and then after that the Washington football team. And uh who are going to remain the Washington football team into 2021, which I think is a fantastic idea by the way. It's your main football team forever. How are we? Has this game made you feel more confident about the Lions or maybe even less confident? Because as much as there was a win here, as much as Stafford came in the clutch, I keep using the words Jekyll and Hyde to describe this game because there was a lot of points where the Lions were making their own self-inflicted errors. And as we've seen in the past, they don't always get to recover from those. And I think the luck is with them in that the Colts are just I know they're four and two, but it feels like a weird Fugazi four and two. Yeah, but they I are mean, coming off a bye, and Minnesota yep. is bad. Right. So, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I don't come away from this game feeling much different about the Lions at all, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, we, we still saw some of the same offensive struggles that we've seen in the past. The, the one thing that maybe gives me a little bit of confidence going forward is that consistent run defense now in two straight weeks. All, all that we were saying last week is like, wow, that run defense came out of nowhere. Is it for real? Well, now we have another, you know, data point and it's looking pretty good. So that I'm positive about. In terms of this Colts team, I don't know what to think of about them. We saw the Lions come out of the bye week with a really strong game plan against um, against Jacksonville. Colts are going to have two weeks to plan for this game. So you never know what's going to happen out of that one. I have questions about Phillip Rivers at this point in his career, but that's really, really good defense. So we gonna, we're going to have to see a back-to-back really good performance from, from Matthew Stafford to, to hang with that team, and they can run the ball. So um, if they'll, I, I know they don't have Marlon Mack um, because of injury, but it's an interesting matchup. But in terms of what I feel about this Lions team before I did 24 hours ago, it's not that much different. It's a little bit, a tiny bit more confidence in their defense, and that's it. Ryan? Yeah, I, I'm i pretty much lock and step with Jeremy. I, th- I think the biggest takeaway from this, from this game specifically is, is that run defense. I, I think the Lions were able to bottle up a really good running back, and I know that Craig Robinson had been playing pretty well for Jacksonville, but you know, he was bound to maybe have like an undrafted rookie game. So I I think we had reason for caution with that, uh, with that performance last week, but this week it was against Todd Gurley and he's been playing pretty well so far this season. I mean, he's been averaging well over four yards a carry and he, uh, he, he was, he was held to, you know, very minimal game. And, uh, I think it really, it really played a part in, you know, Atlanta's game plan. I don't know if they would have, you know, if they would have run that ball on fourth and whatever, when Trey flowers broke up that, uh, that pass from Matt Ryan, maybe they would have felt more confidence in, in Todd Gurley, but they didn't, they didn't have the opportunity to, to use Gurley. Like I, I thought they were going to try to do. Um, and the Lions stepped up to the plate. Now next week, maybe you, you kind of run into your biggest challenge so far in terms of running the football since the Jacksonville game, um, because you got uh, the rookie from Wisconsin, for for Indy and you got a pretty pretty good offensive line led by one of my favorite big dudes Quentin Nelson so that's going to be that's going to be an interesting battle yeah and when it comes to Jeremy talks about the strength in the run defense you don't need to stop much running coming from 
from uh, Indianapolis. Like I, I, Jonathan Taylor, I know had a hundred yard game against the Vikings, but we've kind of since learned the Vikings are trash Uh, against the Bengals. He only had 60 yards on 12 carries against the bears. He had 68 yards on 17 carries against the jets. He only had 57. um, I'm sorry, wrong box score there. 59 yards on 13 carries. Like he's not averaging very well. He's, he's lucky if he averages around like, 4.5 4.5 yards a carry and they're just not using him that much they are leaning on their passing game so this is going to be a test for your secondary it's going to be a test for your for your linebackers it's going to be a test for your pass rush it's going to be a test for things that the lions have been kind of middling about with their defense we'll see yeah and i mean philip rivers to me is just like he's been so inconsistent we've seen those kind of like ugly philip rivers games through two interceptions against the browns through two interceptions against jacksonville but then he has a three touchdown one interception game against cincy where he throws for almost 400 yards has a pass rating of over 100 and i don't know i i still don't think philip rivers is a good quarterback at this point in his career i think i think he deserves a lot of praise and was probably underrated earlier in his career but um should be an interesting matchup i i don't i think i don't know how it goes I think I could see this kind of similar to the Arizona game in that you can probably rattle mm-hmm. Philip Rivers and get him to beat himself. So that should give you a little bit of confidence because we've seen when the Lions do get takeaways, they do seem to put themselves in some decent positions. But yeah, I don't know. That's that's a pretty big if. I'm going to be interested to see on our first bite how that, you know, where those questions come up, how those get resolved on how badly can you rattle Philip Rivers? Because I don't think he's he's had... You know, he's played, what, five games uh, and he's had interceptions in three of them. Like, Yeah, the, the, the thing about Rivers is that his arm strength just really looks like it's kind of on its last leg at this point. Yeah, it's, six games. it's just, I'm sorry, I missed I missed a game in there. But um, I don't want to put too much stock in him beating up on the Bengals because I mean, did you, see what ba- did you see what Baker Mayfield did today? He started off 0-5 <laughs> with an INT, and then he finished 22 of 23 for 297 yards and five touchdowns. Wow. The only, the only incompletion was a, was a spike to stop the clock. Jeez. Yeah. And I, I, the, the one thing, I mean, everyone looked at this Colts team when they were 3-1 and one, and like, wow, look at that defense. Looks really amazing. But now you look back on the schedule and it looks a little bit okay. So they okay, they only held the Vikings to eleven points. The Vikings have struggled offensively pretty much all season. Yeah, they held, held the Jets to seven points. They held the Bears to eleven points. Now we're just talking about bad offenses. So um, yeah, the, the only the only good team they've beaten on here is probably the Bears, if we're being honest. Yeah, but again, they won a, game, a nineteen to eleven game. Not not yeah. exactly. Uh, an impressive looking win necessary. So I know we're talking about the Colts a lot and we'll have our preview podcast later in the week, but um, it's a winnable game. I think you're going to see your that's we've mentioned plenty before the next six probably are still very winnable. Um, You know, you got at Minnesota after this Washington Panthers team that might be a little bit better than we thought. Texans team is not very good. Even the bears game in Chicago. I think you might circle as a game. The Lions could potentially win. Real quick, real quick, because we're like we're we're almost 25 minutes in this thing. We need to wrap up. But I would I would say to wrap up this segment. Looking at where the Packers and the Bears are in the standings right now. And given where the NFC is panned out, like how likely has this game helped the Lions when it comes to their ultimate goal of making the playoffs? 
Or is it just still like, I mean, I, I'm just looking at every NFC West team has four as at least four wins right now. Uh, I mean, your your salvation is that the NFC East sucks. But it's going to be an uphill battle even in the North because both the Bears and the Packers have five wins as as of this recording. Bears can I'm have not, six by Monday. I'm not doing the playoff thing. I'm not doing the playoff thing at least for another three weeks. Playoffs? There's no reason to be talking about the playoffs with this team. Good. I like where your head's whatsoever. at. Good. Good. I'm going to do it. I don't care. Oh, no. Why not? Don't roll your eyes at me. All right, so this is all about the wild card. Let's be clear here. The Packers won in a convincing fashion. Their, their one loss isn't a sign of decline. The, the Bucks are just really good. So let's take the Bucks out of the equation, the Packers out of the equation. Let's, let's say the Seahawks win their division handily. So now we're talking about the wild card teams. Don't have to worry about the NFC East. You got the Bears, Lions, Saints, Panthers, I guess. Cardinals, Rams. So what is that? It's about six or seven teams. The Lions just need to be in the top three. Lions need to be in the top three of that. I think the Saints are a tough one, especially with a loss to them. I think the Rams might be a tricky one. Rams are a game ahead of the Lions right now. Cardinals, though, Lions got the tiebreaker on them. That could be big. And then Panthers, I don't know. We'll we'll see who they, I, I don't know who the Panthers are yet. And Bears, I don't know. That that game in Chicago could be huge, real big. I think They're, I think the Bears are kind of real. <clears throat> like I know their quarterback isn't great, but I they've I I've, I've been picking against them every week, and I keep looking. I'm like, these are teams they should lose to, and they just refuse to die. Like maybe the Rams finally do them in by the time you're listening to this podcast, but I I don't know. I think if nothing else, the Rams uh, the the Bears schedule is very favorable to them. Yeah, I've been saying for weeks that the Bears are absolutely fraudulent and their next stretch of five games is going to absolutely expose them. So let's but get I've things been saying start, that let's for get things started weeks, off the man. right way. Let's get the, let's say- get let's get things started off the right way with this loss to the Rams, and then everything else will be downhill from there. If. All right, I think we're gonna end it there. We've gone really long on this podcast. Thank you all for sticking with us. It's been a super addition here. And I think probably in the future, we might have to figure out a way to chop these up a little bit just because I know we go really long, but you guys want that content. Once again, download the podcast, twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit when we're live. Uh, I am Christopher Fett. That's Jeremy Reisman. That's Ryan Matthews. And we will see you starside.